ora and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 23rd of November 2020. I'm Head of Research Nick Goodall and I'm joined by our Senior Property Economist Calvin Davidson down in Christchurch. Calvin, how you going mate? Good, yep, very good. No complaints down here. Um, yeah, looking forward to another busy week. Not too much to mention about the weekend. It's pretty standard. Just, just looking forward to cruising into the end of the year. So, no, going good. How about yourself? Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, the big thing for me was uh, going to Beavana on Friday night. So, you know, that was an awesome, awesome event. First time I've been in a couple of years. So uh, good to get amongst it down there and just put on such a great event. But did mean for a bit of a slow Saturday. Um, but, you know, certainly I, I think still worth it. I'll take that every time. And the other big news, of course, was the Tanifa getting up on Friday night. So I'm looking to do a little bit of a road trip on this Friday to uh, get up to Napier and watch the Tanifa in the final. So uh, that's that's where my head's at, head's at at the moment. Um, just need to make sure I get all my work done so I can take off about lunchtime on Friday. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Now, that sounds cool. Well, nothing, nothing like a road trip to the Hawke's Bay, eh? Yeah, too right. Actually, that's what maybe we should have done is take the whole family with me and actually stay the weekend. But um, I hadn't actually considered that, so maybe I should have <laughs> to think about that option. But um, yeah, look, let's, uh, let's let's kick into things, mate. I think it's pretty clear what's going to lead the podcast today, mate. It's our first home buyer report, which we did tease a little bit last week. Um, and, but we but off the back of some quite outstanding media coverage, really, pretty much all major outlets last week, including a little cheeky appearance of myself on uh, in the studio in Auckland of uh, and TVNZ breakfast. So I thought, you know, we're worthwhile touching on uh, those key outtakes once again. Um, of course, I know that you know you spoke to multiple media as well, and we were you know on the radio and everything too. So I think both of us have got a pretty good um, feeling and understanding of of the key outtakes of the report. But do you want to run us through the key focus areas that you were sort of talking to media about firstly, and I'll see if there's anything else I need to, to add in there. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So uh, three things really, that, and, and a lot of the questions I got from media were all about sort of, hey, there's this perception that first time buyers are struggling and, you know, it's hard and, and all of that. Um, but your numbers are showing <coughs> something quite different. So that, that was sort of the line of questioning. And I guess, you know, I was trying to say, well, yeah, our numbers are showing, so this is sort of point one, the numbers are showing first-time buyers very strong, you know, 25% market share in the third quarter, which is a record high, um, and, and you know, doing those things to get into the market, like accessing KiwiSaver, um, you know, adjusting their expectations around property type location, um, but also acknowledging that, you know, we're only measuring successful sales, you know, we don't know uh, how many first-time buyers are missing out, and, and I suppose that perception around, um, you know, that it's still hard is, is is probably more to do with those people that have missed out, and you know, are seeing it's still pretty hard to raise that deposit, and now house prices rising, probably beyond the speed at which they're saving. So, yeah, there's that, that was sort of my answer to that was there's two sides to it, and we're only capturing the successful ones, and there are a lot of successful ones, but also I guess um, you know that perception that that some are struggling is, is probably real and some are missing out. But um, yeah. the interesting figures. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that that's, that's certainly a question that does come up because it does seem to go against the grain of general feeling, which is, oh, you know, first-time buyers need help and, and all that side of things. And I think, yeah, the, the point really being that 
Um, yes, there's some people and many people, like you say, quarter of all sales going to first home buyers that are able to get into the market because they can get that deposit and interest rates are so low. And the other thing from the report, of course, was that, you know, in some areas like Dunedin and Tauranga, it's actually cheaper to pay your mortgage than it is to pay rent. So there's more of a financial incentive as well. It's not just about the emotion of buying your first home and, and everything that comes with that, the freedom and, and all that. There's actually financial incentive now to say it's actually cheaper to pay a mortgage than it is to rent. Now, yes, there's other expenses to take note of, but in general, people would easily justify those ones um, for the benefits you get of it. So there is that side of things, but it's still, you know, there's going to be that hurdle of getting your deposit together. And for every, you know, one person that can do that, as you say, it's the question is how many can't do that and how many of them are actually getting help from their parents to maybe get that deposit up or, you know, or they're finding other ways to, to get that deposit. And there's going to be many people that can't do that. Or even if maybe most are getting in, who knows what that number is, it's going to be unsustainable. And if prices continue to grow at the rate they are, I'd be surprised to see those first-home buyer stats, those percentage of sales, hold up as high as they are as well. And that was one point that we sort of got to in the TVNZ breakfast interview, was that, yeah, it's unlikely they're going to be sustainable. And, you know, yes, it's only one more month of data, but when we put this together, it was based on year-to-date and Q3 data. We've now got October data, which tells us that, you know, that first-home buyer share just dropped away a little bit. Um, yes, impacted by a growth in investors because we know they're taking advantage of those um, reduction in LVR limits from the Reserve Bank. But, you know, those first-home buyers, we might already be seeing them start to be impacted by the fact that prices are growing so fast and they're seeing such strong competition. So there might already be signs of that. But if the, even if there's not, you know, my expectation is that as we move through the rest of this year into next year, it's just unsustainable to see that property price growth and see first-home buyers continue to stretch to make their way in. But um, speaking of stretching, I think that's where you sort of pulled out those that data on the, the price they're paying as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, give us those figures, mate. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you touched on the the, the uh, Tauranga Dunedin where it's cheaper to pay the mortgage than to pay rent. That was sort of based on the actual price paid by first-home buyers this year in those markets and then making some assumptions about the size of their mortgage and therefore what they'd be paying. Um, so that, that was sort of the other, that was the second point around from, or the second key point from the report, just around that issue of where it's cheaper to pay the mortgage than rent. And um, the other one, Christchurch was an interesting one, only $6 more to pay the mortgage than to pay rent uh, in Christchurch. So another part of the market where, you know, first home buyers have been pretty strong. And nationally, that figure was, I think, came out $46 more pay a mortgage per fortnight than, than rent nationally. So, yeah, it's more to pay the mortgage. And, uh, of course, you've got you know, rates and insurance. But, you know, look look at the numbers. People are obviously seeing that $46 as not that much different. And for all those benefits that home ownership delivers, they're, they're wanting to take the plunge. So, But, um, yeah, related to that, as you say, is, is sort of the third point around what they're paying. And so the median paid by first-home buyers this year, 565000 which is a little bit below the overall median of 619. But our key point was that median paid by first-home buyers is way above the lower quartile for all buyers, which is 430. So that's where that 430 is where you get 25% of properties below that mark. And um, so there is this perception that first-time buyers always are, are entering in that sort of lower quartile area, but they're not, not in all cases by any means. You know, as I say, paying 565 median, it's way above that lower quartile. So, you know, some will be getting in in that lower bracket, but a lot are getting in higher than that. And, um, you know, it does go against that popular perception.
Yeah. And I think that that, you know, that's really interesting information when you think about all the discussion at the moment, talking about do we need to raise the caps for assistance to get first home buyers in? It's like, you know what, if they can stretch higher, then they generally do anyway. They actually need that assistance. Yes, there's going to be plenty that are at that lower end that need help to get into the market, but not all of them. And so, you know, whether raising the caps actually does anything that great for the market, we're seeing people stretch anyway. And I think people do, you know, I don't know the terminology, I don't want to say that they're being too picky, but people don't generally actually enter at the bottom, you know, in the bad places or a really small place. They tend to go, I want to get close to maybe, you know, a property I actually want to live in. And so they tend to stretch as far as they can to get into that property so that it's actually somewhere they're going to enjoy in terms of location or type of property or modern house or whatever it might be. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, yes, some first-home buyers or potential first-home buyers will struggle, will, will be um, trying to get anything they can, but otherwise people are actually, you know, pretty selective in, in what they choose to buy and they probably don't need as much assistance as maybe um, we hear about in the market as well. So I think that's the other, as you say, key point to note um, and that's certainly one that got plenty of coverage as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, look, yeah, I think it's a, it, it was just an awesome report. We've been talking about it for a while. I'm so stoked we finally got it out there and, and the detail and the data was so crucial um, and, and good to see it actually got, I think, you know, some great coverage across so many different media um, organisations as well. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll take that one and, and move on. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about from, from that or the media appearances last week that, you, uh, that I've missed out on? No, not around the media stuff, I don't think. I mean, just around the report more generally, just that we, you know, we've talked about how we can add more detail. You know, it's, it's not a fixed thing um, and, and there's lots more sort of cuts of the data we can do. And so I guess, yeah, watch the space for, for next year. Well, who knows? We may have an investor report as well <laughs> without wanting to uh, create a knife for my own back. But, um, yeah, certainly a lot more detail for the, for the first time buyer report and, um, yeah, it can come next year. Yeah, indeed. I mean, and I think we can, you know, we can look at the suburbs people are buying and all sorts of different information too, which we've kind of looked at ourselves but didn't include in the report. But it is worth noting that every single TA, all 69 of them or whatever there is, did have data on what first home buyers were doing their share of sales and, and dollar they're paying as well. So, you know, really worthwhile checking out if you're interested in targeting first home buyers or you know, just understanding that part of the market. I'll leave a link to the full report um, within the notes of the podcast too. So it's easy to go and go and jump along to, to catch that report out in full. Um, and yeah, please, again, as per usual with everything, give us your feedback too. What other information would you like to see in there? What would we maybe miss out? Or was there any interpretation you got that we didn't include? So always keen to hear those thoughts. We can move on then, mate. And um, look, the Reserve Bank seem to not want to uh, have a day off at the moment. Last week, they released yet more data. You know, I named last week's podcast RBNZ, RBNZ, RBNZ. And then last week, they released some more data, just a whole new series. And that was around mortgage deferrals and um, how many, how much money is on those mortgage deferrals and how much has come off that as well, which um, I immediately jumped into to see what was happening. We were generally working off anecdotal evidence or some early on data, which was regional from Centric. So nice to get the official Reserve Bank data. Pretty key stats there for me. What, what was that uh, stat, mate? Do you have it there at hand? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, our, our contact with the Reserve Bank has said he's pretty keen for a holiday. So <laughs> I can understand that. They're, they're certainly releasing a lot. But yeah, on mortgage deferrals, this is an interesting one. It hasn't really had any coverage at all that I've seen. And and so the, some new stats that they've asked for the banks to, to provide to them. And so it's shown the stock of mortgages that have a payment deferral scheme in place, basically. And if you go back to 
the peak, or the, the, when that scheme kicked off in April, May, it got up to about 22 billion of, of mortgages that had a deferral in place. So that's pushing sort of 10% of the stock. Um, but now, uh, and as I say, this hasn't had much coverage, that, that stock of mortgages is now down at 4 billion. So there's been about 18 billion of, of deferral or, or mortgages with a deferral against it. They've been exited. People have wound up that deferral. Maybe they've, they've paid it back. They've they've got off off the, off that scheme. Um, so it's it's really a quite a striking number, and and I think just shows these these headwinds that we're all talking about and, and that have been have been there, and you know we've been worried about. It's just another one to sort of cross out. You know we've gone from 22 billion to four, and yeah, four billion is obviously still a lot of money. But gee, it's, it's down a lot from 22, and I just think shows um, that the way that, that people are rolling off. Like you say, we had heard anecdotally that it was happening, so so just good to see it uh, in, in hard figures, really. Yeah, I agree, and I think that you know the other thing to note within that is that we haven't heard or seen too much about people struggling to pay their mortgage now that they have to start paying some of that back, helped out, no doubt, by the fact that there's such low interest rates, so those payments should be kept relatively affordable. But, um, you know, tied in with the fact that we haven't seen that massive lift in unemployment, it obviously makes sense, you know. These people who took a deferral must have been, or most of them would have been because they were worried about the future, and maybe that concern hasn't been, hasn't eventuated to them losing their job or losing too much income, so they've been able to jump back onto paying their paying their mortgage back as well and yeah the biggest drop also came off in October um, you know that was six months essentially after the program came in which was the time you know you think back a couple of months ago we were saying you know springtime would be the big time to look out for we knew that the wage subsidy was coming to an end we knew that the mortgage deferral was coming to an end of course the mortgage deferral got pushed back to March next year um, but like you say now and we were saying okay maybe March there will be a bit more pain in the market but now seeing the fact that 80% of the the mortgages that were deferred have now exited the scheme and then started to pay their mortgage without too much problem. Um, does make me think that even, you know, pushing towards March, there's not, you know, probably not too many reasons to be concerned about those remaining people. Yes, those remaining people, maybe they're the worst and they are the ones to worry about. But um, given the market, they don't, shouldn't have to be desperate to sell their property. They can see this coming. If they do want to sell because they can't afford the mortgage, they should be able to go into a market with strong demand where they can accept a normal price and not have to discount their property as well. So, you know, that's the situation when you see lots of discounted properties, you know, forced sales, stress sales, mortgage sales, whatever you want to call them. That's when the market starts to continue to drop away. And I wouldn't expect um, these mortgage deferrals to now flow through to something like that. So I think that's the key thing for me. Most of it come off in October. No drama, and um, as you say, that headwind of these coming off in March, which only a week ago before this data came out, I was still saying, watch out for mortgage deferrals in March, but, you know, nothing to worry about really. All of it, most of it's come off and um, and doesn't seem to have had a big drama. Mm. Yeah, no, as I say, really, really striking figures. And, and I think, it, like you say, just does add to that other range of evidence pointing to the, the headwinds softening or uh, not as blustery or whatever sort of metaphor you want to use. And, and I mean, you talked about the wage subsidy, you know, we've seen those figures a couple of weeks back showing that there's basically no job, you know, in the hundreds, like two or 300 or something jobs being supported by the wage subsidy. And, and, and in fact, that was a few weeks ago. It might be none now. So yeah, just um, things, yeah, just again, it's amazing. It's just how things are moving along and certainly not what you would have expected six months ago. Yeah, I agree. I actually did have a look at the MSD numbers around jobs. They seem to change the way they reported, how many jobs are being supported by that. Um, but from what I could tell, quick interpretation looked like it's essentially there's no one on it anymore. Um, but I'll have a good look at that data again and maybe we can chat about that next week.
Cool. Jump into the um, property market data, of course, and last week we didn't cover the early market indicators, but it actually, I actually had a look this week, so now thinking of the last two weeks covering that data, it was pretty interesting. Um, the number of appraisals generated by agents, so foreseeing you know, what listings will come to market, they have actually dropped away. So last week, about Tuesday or Wednesday last week, they actually had dropped about 8% week on week, and they've flattened out since then. So we sort of have seen this drop away in the number of appraisals generated and looks to me to be relatively seasonally typical as well. Um, and if you look at new listings, this is the time as well where we start to see the peak of new listings before the, the pre-Christmas slowdown. So people don't start to list their property anymore because they know they're gonna run close to Christmas and they hold out until the new year. And so, you know, it's about this week or last week where the new listings peaks and we start to see a drop away based on the CMA data, the appraisal data that looks to have um, already slowed down sort of a week or two ago. And so that's a probably good, consistent uh, message with what happens in previous years as well. So that's a really interesting side. We're not going to see a lift in listings any, you know, for the rest of the year. Things have been pretty seasonally normal outside of those lockdown periods. Um, so we're not going to see a massive lift in supply. And if demand continues to be strong, we'll continue to see that price growth. So that's pretty much what I'm picking. Because if you look at the valuations being ordered by the banks to support lending, um, you know, still really, really strong. And they've continued to grow over the last week or so. So I just don't expect the let up, you know, when, we, when it comes to value growth. Four valuations ordered, up 10% in the last week. So, you know, the activity in the banks is still, you know, continuing to grow. And last year, we did not see the same lift at this time of the year. So, you know, I really am continuing with my speculation that the foreshadowing of the LVR limits coming back did kick a few more people into gear that went, man, I want to buy another property. I'm not going to get that 30% deposit. So I'm going to make sure I go and talk to the bank now while I need 20% equity. Um, so I think that certainly has been the case. And it does make me think, that you know, when the Reserve Bank come out with their financial stability review, when they come out with their lending data this week, I just wonder, they're gonna see really strong investor lending data for October. We know that based on bioclassification, it'll be a further strengthening on September, which is really strong. I just wonder if they might even bring those LVR limits back before the 1st of March, which is where they've tested the market already at. I just wonder if they're gonna be worried about financial stability of having more lending done at that level. I know the banks have said they're tightening up already. I know that's potentially the case, but based on the evidence, it shows the limits, you know, them not, they don't need to be there. Uh, sorry, they don't need to not be there in terms of supporting things like the mortgage deferral, in terms of things like supporting the banks lending themselves. So they might say, actually, let's be prudent. We're worried about financial stability. We're gonna bring them back sooner. Um, and I reckon they might even do them before the end of the year. But that is pure speculation on my part. Um, we might find out more on Wednesday. Uh, we're sort of getting into looking ahead what's happening this week already, but we might find out more on Wednesday. Um, in the Financial Stability Review, I'm sure they will have commentary around the LVRs, no doubt. It's just whether they're going to be bold enough to talk about them in this in this sense. So, yeah, look, that's, that's the early market indicators, plus a bit of a reserve bank side of things, mate. Might as well jump into, you know, if you've got anything to comment on that or looking ahead to the Reserve Bank this week, do you want to um, chuck in your thoughts? Yeah, on the, I was just thinking on the on the deferrals, I mean, just harking back to that a little bit, but related to what you just said is, is how, you know, that seasonal fall away in listings that we'll now see and suggest that 
you know, things are going to stay pretty tight for, for the rest of the year into the new year. You know, probably not much happens in January either, potentially. So um, anybody rolling off those deferrals that are still there, the $4 billion coming up to um, sort of January, February, March next year, you're know, still going to be facing a market where, like you said, is, is, is still a little bit supply constrained, heaps of demand. So they should be able to, if people are under a bit more pressure, that remaining $4 billion, they should still be able to sell it at, at sort of, you know, the normal price. So just reinforces that. Uh, and on the FSR, yeah, I, I I think they, I mean, the Reserve Bank, Adrian Orr, is showing a willingness to surprise people. Um, so why not you know, <laughs> do it early? I mean, if the banks have already done it effectively, well, why not just, just mandate that and uh, make it official? Um, also, I guess around, you know, I, I, I was kind of wondering whether, because the previous speed limit for investors, you know, sure, go back to that, 30% deposit requirement, but the previous speed limit where you could lend 5% without the 30% deposit was quite tight and effectively amounted to basically nothing. And I was wondering, well, could they loosen that speed limit a little bit, you know, bring back the 30% deposit, but allow a bit more without the 30% deposit. And I do wonder now whether actually they just go back to the way it was, you know, because the, the rebound has been so strong that they they just go back to exactly the way it was, maybe bring it back earlier, like you say. Um, and, and, yeah, so we'll see how that goes on Wednesday. That's at 9 a.m., the financial stability report. Uh, and also, I guess I'll be looking out for what they do around new builds because, bear in mind, you know, previously uh, you could get an exemption for, for new build lending. I suspect that'll come back as well. It wouldn't make much sense not to when we need supply to, to keep coming on stream so expect that to be a feature um and yeah that's that, that's probably the main stuff i guess same speculation as from the reserve bank directly really that that will come back for owner occupiers too um but whether that makes a huge amount of difference well maybe not because they've had to have 20 percent before they've had 20 percent now and they carry on with 20 percent so yeah, lots of different things to look out for. And, and that'll probably be the main area of emphasis in the FSR, I'd imagine, is, is not so much about what they're saying more generally, but what they propose around loan-to-value ratio rules. So, yeah, I'll be watching that pretty closely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, they're liking keeping us on our toes and the pressure's on the Reserve Bank, government, certainly there's more and more commentary about, you know, what influence they have, what, what influence they should have, and um, on both the supply and demand side. So, yeah, agreed. Just intriguing times and we'll continue to read all the tea leaves on those ones to understand what's going on and what discussions are happening um, at those Reserve Bank offices. Um, cool, man. Well, look, the last couple of things I just want to touch on was a couple of you know more CoreLogic uh, content. So our monthly video is out now. Spoke about it last week, but I'll put the link um, within the notes as well. So that sort of five-minute quick summary, always a couple of charts in there to keep it nice and interesting. So well worth uh, checking that one out and then sharing certainly amongst anyone else that's in the market and wanting to understand what's going on. Uh, please do check that one out. And the other one, of course, is um, our pain and gain report for Q3, which will be released later this week as well. I know you've written that one. And it's with the design team at the moment. Um, I know there's you know probably no huge surprises there, but do you just want to give us a very high-level summary on, on that pain and gain report, which people will be able to check out later this week? Yeah, I think that's the main message for me is no, no surprises. We, we've had a little bit of trying to get some direct quotes for the, for the media release and that sort of thing. And, and that's my overall summary is, yeah, it's kind of just trucking along as it, as it has done. I guess, you know, people in a rising market that we've seen for the, the, the longer term, five, six, seven years, but also in the last five or six months, that, you know, if you hold for any decent period of time, you're almost guaranteed to be making a, a gross resale profit. So, yeah, people are still 
making profits frequently and and in large numbers too that the dollar values are high I suppose the one thing I'd, I'd perhaps pick out is is a slight divergence between the resale performance of apartments and houses um, which I wouldn't say is a major thing yet but just one to keep an eye on because we have we have talked before about how um, potentially the burden of unemployment falling on so younger generations the renting generation um, and so if there is to be any real sort of pain in this it might come through that sort of rental investor landlord type of thing and maybe investors have to think about factoring in sort of slightly higher vacancy rates maybe a slightly weaker rental performance so and and yeah, it, it is more likely that investors are owning apartments. So I guess that's the link I'm trying to make here is that if that resale performance of apartments just diverging a little bit and it, and it might be one to watch in the coming quarters too. If, if you know, say some of the, the occupancy rates for those apartments fall a little bit um, and, and, and those owners are thinking, well, yeah, the game's changed a bit, I might look to sell. So nothing major yet, but, but one to keep an eye on anyway. And, and that report will be out later in the week. No, awesome, good call out. I think that, yeah, as you say, the point is, you know, there's not too many surprises because we do say in the report that this can be used as sort of a proxy for market performance anyway. And given we know the strength of the market, you're measuring sale to sale analysis, um, no surprise to see most most are done for a profit rather than a loss. Um, but, but the key thing is always those differences, investors to first home buyers, differences regionally, differences by property type. That's where we're really trying to understand and helps you to, to really get a feel and a read on which parts of the market might be struggling. And the apartment one's a, a crucial one, as you say, reliant upon you know student accommodation or, or um, Airbnb type accommodation too. So maybe that's where the performance has just been reduced a little bit. So, yep, no, good call out on that one. Um, awesome, man. Well, that might do us for today then. Is there anything else you want to chat about or talk about before we go? No, 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 just another busy week ahead. And as I say, yeah, uh, winding into the end of the year, I guess. We're, we're still some stuff to do, though. Oh, damn right. Yep, no, it'll still be a busy few weeks, though, for sure. Um, otherwise, Mark, I'm going to say up the Tanifa. And um, thanks once again <laughs> for your thoughts. And well done last week on the report. And uh, yeah, otherwise, thanks for listening. Please do subscribe, rate, and review. And go and check out all those links I'll throw in the notes. Get in touch with us, too. Had a few more people contacting us through Twitter, LinkedIn, email. Really great to hear those thoughts. And, um, and I'll leave all those details there as well. Otherwise, just leaves me to say thank you very much. My name's Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matiwa. Mm-hmm.